If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Hey there, we are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one that likes role-playing sophisticated nobles, Travis. And I'm the one that identifies most with goblins, Jordan. They're As... creepy and crawly and wonderful. <laughs> and don't wake them up before, or don't feed them past midnight? I don't know. <laughs> I don't transform. <laughs> or do I? You absolutely do. <laughs> Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast, where we're making magical smiles with Tasha's hideous laughter for incredible games. That should definitely be the tagline for a dentist's office. Yeah, like forcing forcing your <laughs> smile, whether you want it or not. All right, so extra big thanks to some of our new patrons. We had considered giving a specific personal shout out to each one of you, but thought kind of better of it because maybe you don't want to be noted on a podcast. I don't know, maybe you just kind of want to sit in the background and not take kudos or credit. Some people aren't into it. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like a creepy uh, creepy fetish of yours to to be a benefactor to these these boys. Oh, no. <laughs> You're a pervert. I hope we're not your fetish. <laughs> mm, yeah, boys, you do the good to good <laughs> dance. I don't need no recognition. I just gonna watch. I like to stay quiet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Thank you very, very much. You're all disgusting pervs. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you very much. Um, and speaking of which, uh, I think we might become a little bit more sensitive to swearing on the podcast. I don't know. There, I, I think there was just a lot of just willy-nilly F-bombs and may, maybe some of our younger listeners. I don't know how many younger listeners really are. I've seen the demographics. There's not a ton of them, but there's enough to remain sensitive. I just want to point out that you think we we were throwing them around really nilly, but I don't think I've sworn yet on this podcast. Fine. <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> so I'm going to try to restrain myself. And instead of just saying fuck all the time, I'm going to pepper in more fun swears, family-friendly swears, if you will, like dick waffle and frankenfuck. Yeah, cause <laughs> that sounds definitely like things that people want their kids to hear. Uh, okay moving on they'll definitely be able to trace it back to us where'd you hear that <laughs> who taught you those words who taught you frankenfuck and uh a, a big big thank you to everyone that has shared left a comment or a review or just listened thank you so much for giving a new podcast a chance yeah all jokes aside it's absolutely fantastic and we love you for it so today we are super lucky to have an awesome guest on the show. His name is Robin Slack. Yeah, and he's got tons under his belt. He's a superstar in the Canadian comedy world. He's written, directed, and acted in so many super original shows at the Edmonton Fringe Fest. He and his comedy partner Josh have created some ridiculously funny songs and music videos with his two-man comedy duo, Success 5000. Through all that, he maintained an absurd, long-running webcomic called Moonfruit. It's full of characters that make you think, that's weird as shit. I love that. 
His performances and works have received immense praise, such as a comedy sketch performance with self-deprecating, nihilistic, and sarcastic humor that is both current and genuinely hilarious, which is a quote that totally sold me. (laughs) And there's no end to his creative ambitions, as his shows exemplify, with glowing reviews like... It's James Bond meets Groucho Marx meets time travel in this slapstick police thriller. Another real thing said by a real person about his work. And as a taste for his upcoming comedy album, It'll Be Okay, coming out February 7th, we've got a little sample of a track, so here it is. You swore that you'd never let me go. Unless I did something to demonstrate That I'm not really the person that you thought you'd gotten to know But I don't think I've done anything like that You said you loved me, I guess that was a lie Or at the very least it was only true Within a certain set of circumstances that no longer apply But honestly, you should have thought of that Cause you never should have given your heart to me If you can't handle my jealousy And my controlling nature And my substance abuse And my credit card debt No shit Maybe I'm the problem here (laughs) Maybe I'm the one that needs to change Alright Well, uh, he has two other albums That are just as great And we can't wait for this third We're going to talk to Robin About some of his work in the hero's stage. Then we're going to give some really good takeaways in the strategy stateroom when we get his tips on building a comedic character with humor and heart. I'm super excited for that one because there are some really cool, it's like a three-step process that just absolutely blew my mind. And then finally, we're going to put some of his advice to use in the extra-dimensional gateway. So let's get to it. All right. This is the hero stage, where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. Thanks so much for joining us, Robin Slack. It's a pleasure to be here. Your journey through comedy sounds like a bit of a blast, and you're always pumping out some new ideas. What are some of the most standout moments of your year? Of this past year, 2018. Well, I mean, I I feel like we've all had an incredible year if there's one thing we can all agree on it's that 2018 went great for everyone and there oh, were yeah. no problems <laughs> perfect uh yeah so it's really hard to choose a standout moment no I've, I've it's been weird for that i feel like a lot of my friends have had this kind of year where it's been like personally very prosperous but like globally just garbage yeah you kind and of it feels weird to out. acknowledge it like no i had a really good year in 2018 even though it's like the world is is crumbling around me but like I got engaged. That was awesome. That's a standout moment of 2018. <laughs> yes, congratulations. That's very yeah. exciting. Thank you very much. Um yeah, we uh we had our fringe show. I did three different productions at the Edmonton Fringe all at the same time. Uh they were all in the same venue uh which I was running, so that helped to I could just like make sure they didn't conflict at all, but it did mean that I essentially did nothing but theater for like a 10 day period of just like, I have three shows a day every day. Wow. This is cool. Lots of um, electrolytes and carbs, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they released that new, this is another standout moment of my year. They released that new plant-based burger at A&W, <laughs> uh, which allowed me 
to have a vegetarian uh, just ball of grease that I could ingest. Um, so I was so excited that I would subsist on those during the fringe because I have no time to cook or do anything. Nice. And then they ran out of them the week of the fringe. They were like, no, we, you know, it was a bigger hit than we anticipated. We have no more uh, Beyond Meat burgers for you. I was the, That's my biggest disappointment of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need as many veggie burgers as I wanted to. All right. Uh, well, that sounds like a pretty exciting year for you then. Yeah, uh, it, it got weirdly A&W focused at the end, but it was a very good year. Yeah, the Fringe went amazingly. We got uh, we got five stars for our, our show Double Booked, and we're going to be touring that in 2019. So watch out for that. And you li- if you live in any of the three cities, we'll be touring. Nice. Uh, yeah. Buckle up, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, and Edmonton. Woo! <laughs> Edmonton counts as a tour when I'm from Edmonton, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you kickstart your creativity? Like, do you have a process? Uh, my main tactic to like keep myself productive creatively is to make commitments with my projects that like often they're they're things that no one would actually really care if I didn't fulfill the commitment. But like, like the only way that I was gonna keep up a regular drawing schedule is to like put up a web comic and say that it updates three times a week and force myself to actually draw enough to put up three updates a week. Uh, and that's my tactic with everything. As soon as I get an idea for a script that I want to work on, I tell like 15 people about this great concept that I have for a fringe show next <laughs> year so that I know if I don't work on it next year, people are going to be like, so whatever happened to that thing you were so excited about? Because uh, I know that if it's just up to me, I'll be lazy. Um, but if I if I feel like there's pressure on me, even if it's the loosest form of pressure, you gotta you gotta create those goals for yourself. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. That's exactly what we did with this, actually. We were just like kicking this can around for months and then we're like, okay, let's let's set a release date. Good yeah, point. as soon as that hard number is there, it's like, well, I I gotta do it. People talk about writer's block, which I think is a thing to an extent, but uh the the cure for it <laughs> is to back yourself into a corner. <laughs> just stress <laughs> yourself out. That's the secret. Yeah. I'm giving really, uh, really solid advice for people's mental health. Yeah. This, this is really good. <laughs> we we want to succeed, not be healthy. Come on. <laughs> it's uh, it's an either or apparently. Um, I was. It, it's also definitely important to like take care of yourself and take the time you need. And uh, I often will will take breaks from projects and let myself recharge a little bit because uh, after a while you you need that time to like remember why you love something and why you're doing something. But I think especially out of the gate with any new project, that's my goal is like tell 15 friends about it so that I'm accountable. (laughs) I think that runs in the veins of DMs everywhere, too, is DM burnout and just, yeah, taking a step back and reminding yourself why you play the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's what keeps me making games is the fact that every week people are going to come sit at the table and expect me to have something so i better work on it yeah D is like is very much this method put into practice of like gotta have something ready because we got a bi-weekly game or whatever it is yeah so what projects are you the most proud of that's a hard that's like like asking someone who their favorite kid is a little bit. Which, of course, there is, in fact, an answer. There always is. Well, yeah, but you never want to admit to anyone what it is. Like, it doesn't mean there isn't one. You just don't want to tell anybody because the other ones might hear about it. Uh, okay, uh, well, what is your current project that you're working mm-hmm. on right now? 
Uh, my time currently is split a lot between Success 5000, uh, which is uh, it's always one that's been close to my heart. That's would be my default answer when you're like, what are you most proud of? I I feel like that one specifically because it's endured for a long time when other projects that were supposed to have more serious potential have fizzled. This dumb, jokey comedy band that wasn't supposed to ever go anywhere has endured longer than any of them. So I'm I'm very proud of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's you've done a really good job with that. You've put out several albums over the years, correct? Yeah, we're uh we we've got a an album and then like a, a live album that we recorded here in Edmonton. Uh and we've got a new album coming out in February, so we're that's been my current focus is getting ready for the album release show and and hyping that up. Nice. Very and, good. And that one's called It'll Be Okay. We just saw your first promotional video for it, which is, if I can describe it real quick, <laughs> a demonic soundtrack over top of Burning Guitar that you released in the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, midnight. It went up. <laughs> so it, Facebook lets you schedule posts, and I was going to schedule it for 9 a.m. like I usually do with any promotional things to like catch people as they're on their way to work or school or whatever. And then I was like, no, if we're going cryptic with this ad campaign, let's go full cryptic. <laughs> it's going up in the middle of the night. Um, so I was going to ask, so you're doing a cryptic theme for your promotional uh, campaign for this. Is there an actual cryptic theme to the album? Not nearly as much. No, uh, we like the, the title track off the album, It'll Be Okay, just has this very, uh, this undercurrent of, I mean, the song is called It'll Be Okay. It's about how not okay everything is uh there's a hopeful streak to it but it's it's very it's a depressing little tune oh. uh and so we just kind of wanted to capture that uh contrast of of staying hopeful and trying to be kind as the world is on fire uh hence we we filmed a guitar on fire in slow motion for our album art and promotional materials okay so it represents uh, the world in a way yeah, a little bit, yeah. And then once I got that footage back, I was like, you know what we need to do with this is overlay some uh, some of the new tracks, but slowed down to just like 10%, so it just sounds like like a rejected Nine Inch Nails demo <laughs> tape <laughs> uh, of just industrial noise, this wall of chaos. Uh, and that's, that's just for me. That's just because I think it's funny. <laughs> sounds inspiring. So everyone always has uh, an oh this is good moment when playing their first game of D&D what was yours ah that's a really good question um i think the first full like proper game of D&D i ever played was with uh with my dad and a bunch of his friends so like a room full of 40 something year old people <laughs> and then me uh, cause my dad played D and D when he was, uh, he was younger. Uh, and it was like a big part of his, uh, like adolescence and early adulthood. And he wanted to kind of share that with me. He passed on his old, uh, uh, I think they're pre second edition books. They're like the advanced dungeons and dragons before they hit proper two E. Um, and then, yeah, it was one time when we were, uh, visiting Southern BC and we happened to be in the same city as a bunch of his old D and D crew. And we decided to play a one-off with his old DM, uh, and it was like specially formulated as a like, here's we're going to introduce Robin to D&D. Um, so that was a weird way to get an exposure to the game. But I think for me, it was this feeling of like, as a kid growing up, I was big into like running around playing outside make believe kind of games. 
Uh, and it always seems kind of depressing that like you see adults and, and they don't play those anymore. Like you can't get your, your dad to come and run around and play Ninja Turtles with you. Or if he does, he's, he's bad at it and he quits <laughs> after a while to yeah. his back hurts. Um, but like, yeah, so it just seemed like, oh, eventually as a, as a grown up, you have to give up playing make believe. Yeah. And this was this like aha moment of like, oh, you don't, it's, it's different, but you can still do this shit as f- an adult. And it's like socially acceptable to a degree more and more every year but um yeah it was just like this cool thing of like oh i don't have to give up this thing that i love i can keep creating these worlds and like keep living in these weird imaginary spaces that's really cool yeah yeah that's one of the things i love about it um (laughs) and i just like how you you just have to add a few rules to it as an adult you need to be able to understand the make-believe a little bit better so Everything needs bureaucracy as an adult, but like, yeah, <laughs> you can still play make believe. Absolutely. Um, which one of your characters that you've played is given the biggest spark at the table? Uh, I'm currently just wrapping up a campaign uh, with a character named Laszlo McElhaney, who is a gnome assassin. And I think he's <laughs> like, he's the longest running player that I've done, so or longest running character. So that that I feel like has had the biggest connection with me and with with the other people at the table and stuff uh but he's just this really really chipper happy-go-lucky kind of like he's he's a, a simple guy who takes pride in his work and he's good at what he does and it's honest work it's work with your hands and it just <laughs> happens to be brutally murdering people <laughs> dismembering them for the highest bidder uh but he's he's a chipper guy who will uh have a you know meet you at the bar and have a big glass of grapefruit juice and and tell you about his day and hard work salt of the earth kind of fella (laughs) yeah yeah positive outlook likes to keep things on the lighter side you know no reason to get bogged down by everything uh why is D&D a good platform for improv i don't know if it's necessarily that it's a good platform for improv or just that like in my mind, D and D just is improv. Uh, whether you know, whether you've ever done improv or not, you may have no idea that that's what you're doing. But that's what you're doing. Uh, it's it's all just cooperative storytelling and and embracing each other's offers and stuff. So, uh, yeah, D and D and improv are kind of one and the same in my mind. Do you find it easy to kind of create that character arc beforehand and play it out through D and D, or is it more just you go where the character takes you? I think it's definitely the second one for me. I, I try not to come in with too many of those expectations, partially because I, you know, I feel like that's that's it's all about cooperation with the D and D, uh, with the DM of the game that you want to leave room for the story that they're trying to tell and not come in and steamroll it with your own story. And partially because I have so many other areas of my life that I'm scripting and storyboarding and figuring out in advance so when i finally get a chance to play D D, I want to just let it go yeah that's true <laughs> it takes me out. a release nice yeah what are the three funniest characters in fiction in your opinion favorite example of comedic characters and specifically like the type of comedic characters that i enjoy right now is any michael shore television project so like anything from parks and rec to brooklyn 99 to the good place are just like I feel like masterclasses in in character work and comedic character work in particular. I think he's got it so figured out. And trying to narrow that down to like who is the best character on those shows is really difficult because like uh all four leads on the good place, but also Janet more than the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
like yeah it's what six cast yeah it's all of them they're so so spot on every single one yeah and to that point every single character on brooklyn 99 is genuinely funny in their own ways they've got humor and heart I would say they're all super easy to invest in. I find myself always really invested in their storylines. And one thing that I really appreciate, absolutely none of them are comedy stereotypes. They've all got rich, contradicting flaws. So I think that's actually a perfect segue into our next segment, The Strategy Stateroom. All right, let's get over there. This is The Strategy Stateroom where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right, so let's get into your process. Your first tip for writing comedic characters is creating inherent contradiction. Can you take us through what that means? So to like backtrack it a little bit, my big thing when crafting comedic characters, I feel like there's two different ways to go about it. Uh, which is like the first is having a character that says funny things or does funny things and intentionally makes jokes. And the second is a character that is in some way inherently funny just by existing. Uh, And I'm way more in the second camp. I feel like that has bigger potential for comedy. It has bigger potential for grounded character work. And in order to do that, I feel like the, the biggest ingredient is this idea of an inherent contradiction of like, I, I'm having trouble trying to spell it out. Essentially, if your character is in their natural environment doing what they're good at in a very normal and typical way, there's no comedy there. But as soon as something is off, it's like it essentially boils down to what's wrong with your character. Uh, what is your character's problem? Because uh, they, yeah, they need to be out of their element or an archetype that doesn't fit the story being told. There needs to be just something that is inherently off about the way that they operate. And I guess the the benefit to taking that approach is that you can allow the situation and the world to dictate how funny your character is rather Absolutely. than having to be a funny person and come up with quippy one-liners and and that kind of thing off the cuff. Yeah, yeah, this is and this is true for me in in all of my writing projects, but it's especially true for D&D that like yeah, writing a wisecracking uh quick-talking character A is a lot more difficult because you actually have to actually be that clever and especially in a D&D setting being that clever in the moment is is next to impossible. And those characters can be really hard to humanize cuz people generally aren't wisecracky and quippy all the time. That's not how how human beings operate, but I find way more comedic potential in, in yeah, a character who is just existing and doing their thing, but some part of them is inherently hilarious. And just by moving through the campaign, they're going to create comedy at every step. Then your job is just to, to tell their story honestly and think of what they would do in any given situation. And, and the comedy flows naturally. And it's kind of a beautiful thing. Using that character that you gave us already as an example, yeah, it kind of works perfectly because you were describing an assassin. Just just a happy-go-lucky, uh, optimistic assassin is, is a, yeah, there's that inherent contradiction to it that allows me to just have fun inhabiting that character and thinking about what he would or wouldn't do in a situation and, and the comedy flows naturally from, from his actions, yeah. Nice. Are there other examples of that inherent contradiction that kind of come to mind? Totally. I think we talked uh, previously about uh, like uh, we all have a shared love of The Simpsons from growing up. 
Uh, and that's kind of my archetype when it comes to character driven comedy. And you look at any character on that show and there's that like Lisa is is super, super intelligent and well-spoken and articulate. And she's an eight year old girl. There's a subversion of your expectation there. Homer has all of these responsibilities placed on him as like a father and a head of a head of a household and a nuclear safety inspector. And he's just so inept at everything. <laughs> uh, and just taking that like this character should be this, but instead they're this uh, is a great way to attack how to how to build character comedy and, it's and that circles back to that michael Schur thing again like look at any character on parks and rec and they're just all people who shouldn't be there but are that's but, a great point you yeah. can actually follow that thread all the way through matt Groening's work i was even just thinking disenchanted on netflix yeah. you've got a princess who is a drunk and a fighter and is always sneaking out and that's the that's part of that inherent comedy for sure <laughs> That ingredient on its own, just having that contradiction doesn't necessarily, it, you know, it's not a, a golden ticket to to comedy. But I feel like with the other things we're going to explore, that really helps you to both dial up the funny aspects of your character and also keep them grounded and, and well-rounded in a way that's uh, that's going to resonate. Your second tip that'll add a little bit of life to that is about personality traits. You're talking about scaling them up and down. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure there's a crossover here with uh, with any audience of a and d podcast. There's going to be people who are familiar with the McElroy body of work. Uh, yeah. And in their online series, uh, Monster Factory, they have a rule in their character generation of no middle sliders. Uh, and I feel like that's a great rule to carry <laughs> over into any kind of character generation or writing in general of like moderation is boring to a degree and definitely isn't funny. You want to take aspects of your character to their extreme one way or the other. Uh, and you're, there's always going to be more comedic potential there. This is almost a counterintuitive one because we are talking about creating characters with with heart and creating well-rounded characters. And it feels like dialing up an aspect of a character's personality to 11 can be a recipe for a really annoying character or really over-the-top kind of character that may not have that heart. And and my tactic specifically is to focus on one personality trait and, and really dial in on just one thing that you can focus on and bring through in, in your characterization. And that, again, seems counterintuitive because, you know, you, you think of three dimensional characters like, oh, you don't want them to just be a one note gag. But I really believe look at any of those examples we were talking about. And like there is one primary personality trait in each of those characters that is just dialed all the way up. And it's expressed uh, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it comes through in different situations and, it, and it, it responds differently to different stimuli. I think, too, that the last thing we're going to talk about is, is the key. Don't worry about going too big when you're when you're making your big bombastic personality choices, because we're going to ground that in character in another way, which we'll we'll move on to in a little bit here, I'm sure. Let's talk about that last step. What does your character want and what does your character need? I mean, in order to have an arc needs to want something, needs to be going after something, and ideally also has something that they ultimately need, and those are two different things. And the arc of a character is often letting go of what they want and learning what they've actually needed all along. By keeping those things strong and by keeping them relatable and honest, you can take these big, wacky, bombastic characters and really ground them, and make them still feel relatable in spite of how ridiculous they end up being. I might be putting you on the spot with your own character, but give us an example from the character that you gave us. Uh, with Laszlo, the gnome assassin. Yes. 
yeah, Laszlo was very much about, you know, what he wants is to to go about his honest day's work and basically to to not be bothered by anybody or not change his status quo at all. He was living the good life, murdering people. Um, and he, <laughs> his ultimate arc ended up being learning to kind of take responsibility for the actions that he was undertaking. Uh, not to stop killing people, surprisingly. <laughs> wow. Uh, he is still an assassin to this day. But he had a very an attitude of like, it's not my problem. I'm not the one taking out the hits. I'm just the guy getting his hands dirty. And if I didn't do it, someone else would. Uh, and and what he ultimately ended up needing to learn was that that he has a hand and and he is culpable for his actions. And so he he started killing for righteous reasons. <laughs> ah, there we nice. go. That's where it is. Turn killing around. with a purpose. Yeah, so I can really see how the personality trait combined with that roleplay motivation makes roleplaying in D&D every day a lot easier because you've got two things to pull from in all your situations, and that's really all you need. Yeah, for the most part. I feel like everyone has their own approach, too. I never want to say, like, this is the way you do it, and every other way is wrong, but it's definitely a way that works for me. All right, so let's move into our final segment, which is where we're going to get really weird with Robin's very, very good tips and create a bizarre character out of a combination of the three of our ideas. Sounds good. <laughs> Looking forward to it. This is the Extra Dimensional Gateway, where unique heroes from strange alternate realities are recruited. So we've got some character questions that we're all going to answer, and in the end, we'll have something to add to our collection. Sound good? Oh, beautiful. Okay. Yeah. I love this. Pressure's on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This will be forever canon from here on out. All right. So the very first question is, what was their home? Uh, I'm going to say they come from a small village um, at the base of an active volcano. Um, the, so this, uh, this volcano erupts every so often, and this village is is right at the base of it. But it's not a thing that they fear and and are dreading. They worship the volcano, and like when it goes off, that's that's a, a beautiful, glorious sign from the gods. <laughs> and they just they revel in the chaos and the destruction, and uh, and dance among the uh, the just magma. <laughs> they dance, dance among the magma. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> How do they survive the eruptions? Is my biggest question for generations. Um, like there were, there were more towns at the base of this active volcano <laughs> at one point. This is the only one that's left. And so they think they've, they've found favor with the gods that they're like, <laughs> they're the chosen ones because they're the only town that ha just through happenstance hasn't been wiped out yet. Good. That's the only conclusion you could draw from that. Yeah. Scenario. Although, yeah. I mean, this is talking about where was their home. So maybe it's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they're on this adventure. So the next question is, what makes them unsuited for dungeons? They're just, they're physically too big. Like, they they almost don't fit. <laughs> uh, they're like, they're like pushing above seven feet. And so they're just always kind of like any smaller passages or, or like narrow cracks that they have to squeeze through. They're just like physically wedged into this dungeon. Uh <laughs> Which limits it, it gives them negative modifiers on a lot of their attack rolls. Uh, it's it's a real mess. 
<laughs> so they carry grease around. They just grease themselves up a lot. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> when they have to go into dungeons. Gotcha. They got a thin frame, but a lot of meat on them bones. Um, like we're not talking about a giant. It's not ridiculous. They can get into the dungeon. It's just tight. It's just tight when they're in there. It's just squishy. <laughs> got it. Next question is, what secret do they hope is never discovered, and how do they overcompensate? They've got a large tattoo in elven writing that they got on a drunken night of revelry and it was supposed to say freedom exploration and courage (laughs) (laughs) i'm liking where this is going (laughs) one day they met an elf and they found out that the translation is actually exhaust your kids slaughter horrifically <laughs> it's large and it's across the top of their chest, let's say. So to to overcompensate, they're really uncomfortable with exposed skin because they think that's gonna make someone suggest that they expose their own. <laughs> so they they're always trying to cover themselves and others up. I uh I love this a lot. And the next question, where did they get their sense of style? I'm going to say that royalty in like the way the queen will visit small little backwater towns. Um, I'm going to say that, that royalty visited their town of volcano weirdos and that really left an impression. And when they left home, they saw that as respect. So they tried their best approximation of what respect would look like. Just really off the rails. But like if you looked at it without color, it might work. <laughs> How many capes is too many capes? Seven? No. Six capes. That's that's my that's my golden ticket right there. Nice. I like the layered look. Uh so the next question is what are they afraid of? I'm gonna say a fear of hugs. Similar to their issues with dungeon delving, they are afraid of the constricted nature of a hug. But they kinda wish that they could fully enjoy one. I think they seem nice. <laughs> Ain't that the truth for us all? (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Okay, so let's get down to goal-focused points and just go straight into what is their ultimate goal? I think their ultimate goal is just to reign as much chaos and destruction across the (laughs) land uh, and to carry on the spirit of the volcano gods uh, so that they can reap their just reward in the next life. They just want to burn down as much of the world as they can. I think this turned into an evil campaign. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it very... Okay. Reign as much chaos as possible. But be respectful. It could be within people. the confines of the mission, you know, reign rain yeah. chaos on the on the evil dungeon dwellers. Okay. That's their compromise as part of the party is like the party's like we need to raid this dungeon and get this treasure and they're like and I get to just destroy everything in our path, right? And they're like, "Well, yeah. <laughs> Anything stopping us from getting the treasure?" And like, yeah, you're right. And anything else we see along the way. Perfect. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy it all. All right. And then that leads us to what life lesson could this desire for global chaos manifest in? I think that their life lesson is going to be that if you harness all of that destructive energy in one direction, it can move mountains. I think that's the hallmark moment. Or burn down mountains. <laughs> but just spread out wildly it's uh, a little bit ineffect- ineffective so it's it's not so much about chaos you got to channel your destruction into a higher purpose exactly 
into I like that. building whatever that might look like, maybe building a castle in the inside the volcano. All right. Well, that was really weird. Uh, should we decide on a on a class and a race for this creature? I'm thinking either Goliath or even like maybe a half ogre. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna throw this out there. Three quarters over ogre, just <laughs> different. <laughs> and what's the last quarter? I gotta know. Oh boy, gnome. <laughs> <laughs> No, so it works like... out too. He gets mistaken for a half ogre a lot because, like, you would think, but it's actually three quarter ogre, one quarter gnome. And he corrects people all the time about that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> There's no human in here. <laughs> Spits on the ground anytime anyone suggests. Now, human. <laughs> I'm thinking a uh, paladin. I like paladin. A paladin of, of destruction and chaos. Paladin of the volcano. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Because it totally, not... yeah. You gotta yeah, have. We're not stopping that. Okay, Paladin it is, and finally, we need to talk comedic name. Oh boy, this is my favorite part. Yes. I don't want to put this up too much because I might choke. But like, uh, I, I'm gonna throw out some past past character name favorites. Of I, I had a a friend show starring one Rigby Muldoon. Uh, we got Herman Lonsdale. Uh, I mean, Laszlo McElhaney, I already introduced you to. The other night I went to a planning session and my new character for my next campaign is going to be named Krelnish Volpinos. Jesus uh, That's a lot of letters in that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, the clay is silent. <laughs> There's like 30 extra letters in there too. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to have to have you back just for a naming episode. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, okay, what's this boy's name? What's this What's this person's name? We can collaborate on this. Okay, maybe it starts with a G and it's got a round sound to it. Ooh, no, I'm just uh, quoting Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I like it, though. It's a good jumping off point. <laughs> Gorlock. Gorlock Whisper something? Gorlock Whisper something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Gorlock uh, Whisper... Gorlock Magma Whisper. Ooh. Named for the volcano. Or, 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 just one last suggestion. Just combine it a bit. Gorlock Mispers. Gorlock Gorlock Mispers. That's the one. That's good. (laughs) That's it. All right. Thanks for playing ball. We sure as hell can't top that. Thanks again to the talented Robin Slack for helping us out with all of this and teaching us a few things about characters. Don't forget to check out his new album. We'll have all of the links to his works in the show notes. Take a look at his old albums as well, which are still amazing. And go to Edmonton right now and watch him perform live because he does a lot of those. Booger shits. Travis is still swearing over there, so I'll just keep rolling. (laughs) Thank you to Tabletop Audio, where all of our introduction sounds were created. With our guest this time, we're going to try this for the very first time. We're going to do our little outro. One, two, three. Play Play great great games. games. Play great games. We did it.